In this podcast episode, I spoke to Edward Hirsch. Uh, Ed, I consider a, a philosopher. He uh, studied the uh, various religions around the world and uh, the spiritual traditions of, of modern times and ancient times and sort of syncretized everything, which is, is quite refreshing. It's not a radical non-dualism or radical anything, to be honest. It's quite uh, soft-natured in the sense that it's very inclusive of, of everything and it's sort of his own philosophy and um, and work that is putting out there. Towards the end of the conversation, we spoke about the Mandelas. Uh, we went through three of them that he has created, uh, as he says, come, comes through him and, and allows him to, to, to draw these things out, you know. And, um, you know, they're quite fascinating when he goes through them and talks about them in, in all its complexity and simplicity. So, yeah, I really enjoyed talking to Ed. Uh, he's full of energy. So, yeah, let me know how the uh, the conversation sits with you. Enjoy. Edward Hirsch, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Uh, so, Ed, uh, I think you messaged me a few weeks ago now, and we've had a couple of conversations now, and... Um, yeah, we're, I love your energy. I love everything that you're about. Um, but the main thing that stood out to me was uh, your content, if you like, on the Western magical tradition, which sort of stuck with me. Because a lot of the people I speak to, particularly for the podcast, but also in spirituality in general, a lot of it is very Eastern-based and uh, a lot of Ramana Maharshi and uh, Maharaj and people like that. We, fantastic. I've read the work and everything. Brilliant. But I like how you come at it from... Uh, the, I think the first video I watched with you was uh, you mentioned Pythagoras, and that was like the foundation of the talk. Oh, Pla- yeah. Plato, Socrates, uh, oh, all yeah. these guys. And I was like, oh, okay, finally, somebody who I'm sort of resonating with in the Western magical tradition. So that's why I was vibing with what you were saying. And, and you know, uh, traditionally, the notion is that Pythagoras spent 22 years studying in the Egyptian mystery schools. And, you know, we don't even know what that's about, really. I mean, maybe some people do, but in a way, that was probably the origin of the Western magical, occult, uh, esoteric traditions. And apparently, Pythagoras was the only Greek who ever went through the entire corpus of the Egyptian mystery schools. The, The Egyptians looked down on the Greeks is like they couldn't handle that, you know, and but they saw that Pythagoras really was serious, you know, he Mm. he meant it. And so they honored him. And uh, but and he had to he had to dilute it or adapt it to the Greeks. He couldn't. (laughs) He knew that they couldn't handle. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. So, Ed, t- tell me about your background. I know you've been doing this work for quite a period of time now. So tell me about how you fell into it or some of your mentors along the way. Sure, sure. Um, well, I mean, I can, how far back do I go? You know, I mean. See where it goes. <laughs> go for it. Yeah. Well, um, in some sense, uh, you know, my mother and, and the Jewish tradition was my original mentor. Um <clears throat> And it was very hands off, but she was very 
Jewish. And, you know, it's all about Jews love learning. You know, they call the people of the book, you know, and but every life is learning, you know, endless learning. And I I was a devoted learner. And then my older brother loved to teach me. He was four years older and he turned me on to books that he turned him on, you know, like um, Paul Rep's. Um, uh, let me see. Um, Zen flesh, Zen bones. Mm -hmm. I don't know when he gave that to me, you know, like maybe I was in middle school or whatever, you know, and it was like, oh, my God, I just immersed in it. You know, all these stories of people's awakenings and life dedications, you know, and then it just went on and on and on, you know, and um, and then, um, wow, <clears throat> I in I think 10th grade in um, as a summer school, I attended uh, the local university. They had a summer introductory uh, program in philosophy and I gobbled up, you know, Socrates and it was, you know, the whole thing. And at the end of that, uh, it was part of the uh, final, whatever question they asked, you know, I had this vision of like, of the, oh my God, why are there so many philosophies? I mean, every one of them is by some genius, right? And, but one came up with this and one came up with that. How is that possible? And I realized that it has something to do with the nature of consciousness, <clears throat> which later I realized to be the sacred mystery that could never be reduced or encapsulated in any system, uh, but is the birth of every system, you know, it's the inspiration of every system. And um, I realized right then and there that something was emerging in me that was not for me alone, that it was, I mean, I, I don't mean it was some grandiose notion like, oh, I have something for the world. It was just like, this is service. I'm being used for a larger something. And I kept that going. So I majored in philosophy and I developed that more and more and more, you know, so I had that, that foundation and um, I went to graduate school. I thought, well, I guess I'm going to become a philosophy professor. But after um, and that start where I also started studying tarot. OK. And um, and then um, I had a full fellowship, NDEA, National Defense Education Act. I know I'm going off into details, but it's just the play of it all, you know. And, you know, it was like I got a letter from the government that said, you know, sorry, but um, we have to rescind your money because, you know, we need it for uh, the Vietnam War. I mean, I don't know if they said it that way. It was like, all right, well, I guess that, that's gone. And it it wasn't landing, you know. they they didn't get what I was trying to promote, you know. Was, so mm -hmm. anyway, then, um, and I was studying Kundalini yoga at an, a local ashram in Austin, Texas. And then it was like, okay, well, what now? Well, someone gave me, while I was a student there uh, at the ashram, he, he gave me uh, Adida, then known as Baba Frijan, his little autobiography, um, uh, the knee of listening and like wow you know this was 
Uh, and it was all about, it was nothing about practice, you know, whereas mm -hmm. Kundalini Yoga was all about practice. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, it's all about just relationship to the guru, you know. So that's where I moved into next, uh, you know, I, and then, then I landed in Persimmon and I was never a member of the inner circle, but his teaching of the always already presence, uh, which he got from Ramana Maharshi, mm. um, but you know he was—he did it in a Western format, right? It wasn't some in, in, you know Indian guy, but that profoundly impacted me uh, ever after. And then um, I would say, you know, the next major. Then I got into transpersonal psychology and studied all of that. And I thought, well, I'll just finish writing what I wrote for developed in philosophy. And when I went to sign up, the the head of the whole thing said, well, you know, you've already done the philosophy. Why don't you expand and study psychology? And I went, Oh my God, you're right. <laughs> so on the spur of the moment, I did that. And later I realized that what my real essential curriculum was, was to study the human condition. Yeah. And if you want to understand the human condition, <clears throat> I mean, it's not like you have to, but one thing is to study philosophy, you know, like, because human philosophers were always about what is this all about? You know, what is life anyway? You know, they ask the deepest questions. But if you only go that route and you never study psychology, uh, you don't have like the whole picture. So I immersed in psychology. And then, of course, spirituality is another dimension. So those three became my major integrations, you know, mm -hmm. spirituality, psychology, philosophy. <laughs> And then uh, I fell in with a group that was into Diamond Heart and Hamid Ali, who came out of Gurdjieff school, mm -hmm. and so on. And um, but he was developing in his own original way. And I thought, oh, I guess that's what's next, you know. And I, it's like I wasn't planning my life. I just followed what was obvious, yeah. you know, and I don't mean to say that I was merely, well, whatever, you know, but somehow there was a sense that I'm guided and it just became obvious what the next step was. And so Hamid Ali, uh, it was all about presence and um, it was also deeply rooted in psychology in a way that I don't know anyone who's ever gone that deeply in integrating spirituality and psychology. Um, profound, you know, but, and I stayed with him six and a half years um, when it was still a kind of a small group. I was in the therapist's group, you know, but the main thing that I learned from him or through him was the practice of presence as an embodied practice, which supposedly came out of Gurdjieff. Mm. Um, he didn't get into the dances or anything like that. But the first day, I think, that I learned this practice of sensing arms and legs, 
it was like a profound revelation. And I realized that all that I had studied previously finally found a an embodiment. Uh, you know, it's like all that wisdom and everything um, had a vehicle and I've wanted to teach. I had wanted to teach all this stuff. And I'll tell you why. Not because, oh, I'm a great teacher. It's just like I was learning things that I felt like, oh, my God, everyone should know about this, you know. Mm -hmm. But you don't learn these things unless you are dedicated to spend three years majoring in philosophy. Or, you know, you learn this in an esoteric school like Hamid's. Mm -hmm. But I, I would get to learn these things like, and same thing in psychology. Everyone should know about this. Oh, my God, you know. So I had to teach this. And some friends in Diamond Heart were going like, who is this guy? You know, he's already teaching. He's like arrogant, you know, but they didn't understand that I was just teaching what I wanted to teach so many years. But now I had a vehicle for it, which made it obvious. And amazingly, like sensing in the body, everyone is doing it. Mm. It's it's built into our human system, if you like. But people don't do it consciously, generally, you know. Um, and so it took this fourth way school and Gurdjieff and going to he studied at the Sufi schools and stuff. Mm. It took all of that and uh, very esoteric to learn something that is so simple and obvious, like, duh, sense in your arms and legs. And the reason that was because it bypassed the central um, chakras so that you don't get lost in your head or heart, you know, emotions, or gut, you know, passions. It's a relatively neutral area. Now, I don't mean to try to oversimplify and say, oh my God, they were making too much out of something that's so simple. I don't mean to say that at all. It's just that I've been dedicated to sharing this with others. However, I have pursued this to the nth degree in my own, you know, yeah. and I'm still doing that. And I'm still learning ways of uh, sharing this with others in a simple way, which is not merely diluted. Mm. And I, I shared a little bit of that with you uh, about the being here now, which, you know, we could incorporate in this just mm. even for a, uh, a few minutes. Sure. Just to give people a See, so far, this is all talk, you know, people go like, it's interesting, or it's not interesting, you know, mm -hmm. however people might react. But it's like, what happens when you trans, you could almost say that all of this is Shiva, you know, it's all the masculine ideas. And the Shakti is when it grounds in the experiential in the body especially or through the body and then it's like oh and that's where the union of the masculine the feminine the uh the shiva and the shakti mm -hmm. um 
without making it so esoteric, like you have to become enlightened and have your Kundalini go up to the crown of your head. And you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. uh, that's not where I go, you know, it's just because that's not where I, yeah. Mm. Does that some <clears throat> convey some sense? Yeah. And I think in, in terms of embodiment, uh, particularly in like new age circles and things that's been missing for the best part of 120, 130 years. Yeah. Maybe after Blavatsky and, then, Blavatsky and co. And, and it's very theoretical and fluffy yeah. everywhere. And, and people have sort of lost touch with, uh, with the body. So I agree with that. Yeah. And, and then you get all, uh, so many people who are talking about embodiment, but what they forget, I guess, you know, my practice and my teaching, if you like, is all about wholeness, because that is our nature. That is life, <clears throat> excuse me, wholeness. But the mind tends to be dualistic and we see one side or the other side. So people who get into embodiment, and it's all grounded and it's all about being here now on a physical, practical level. They forget what it is that we're embodying. We're embodying presence. <laughs> mm. You know what I mean? It's not just the you know human body. So in the new age, see what's going on in the new age in a way you could say is what used to be esoteric is becoming exoteric, you know? So it's becoming popular. But it's becoming so popularized that it it loses its spirituality and becomes very individualistic, egoic, and you know how I can get everything I need. And I mean, they're not really opposed, but mm. my sense is to integrate the two. You know, you get the Blavatsky and the transcendent and the theoretical and um, and then you sort of marry that with the with the embodiment. And one thing that comes to mind, Alex, that I could share with you uh, might give you a sense. When I was living in Ojai, uh, this was after Adida and before transpersonal psychology. Um, I was a member of the Liberal Catholic Church, which is uh, a theosophical version. Okay. of Catholicism or, you know, um, and so it's all this esoteric, but it was in ritual and, and they were really connected. And one of the things that impressed me so deeply, but also experientially, is all of their prayers and all of their service was threefold because the Trinity, right, of Christianity, esoteric Christianity, which Gurdjieff was into in his own way. And so they would have a prayer, something like, uh, may, uh, may God, may Christ, uh, you know, bless me, uh, uh, or may the blessings of Christ uh, uh deepen in our hearts so that they may be made manifest in our lives. So that was my sense of the above. Not that it's really above, but mm. 
to give it a spatial <clears throat> reference, right? Sure. The higher yeah. power, right? Um, you know, no one really believes that God is some old man in the sky above, you know, uh, uh, you know, like that. But it's it does make sense. So how the above, the transcendent, the higher power grounds in the heart and, of course, through the whole body, our whole being, that's the within. And then make may that be manifest in our lives. That would be like making your dream come true, but it's not your dream. Mm. It's like God's dream, God's vision, God's will, God's wish for you. And so you, I did this with the breath. So like on the inhale, I would receive it, right? The, the inhaling is receiving and then the, re, the natural retention. And then on the exhale, you release it, radiate it out in all directions. So that's a way of embodying it in the simplicity of a breath. Mm. Yeah, that's... Uh... I've never heard that before. I've heard a lot of all the uh, techniques and everything, but I've never heard oh, that. Yeah. The techniques come in, in so many different forms and books and all sorts, standing yep. on your head and all that. But that was, uh, yeah, I've never heard of that one before. Um, yeah. uh, Ed, um, you've mentioned presence a few times. Uh, yeah. I don't really like to get into definitions, but when sure. when I speak to people who have been in this work for a long period of time, I think it's helpful for people who listen to, to actually understand what that means. Right. Of can, course. You, can you help with that? Sure. And I would say, uh, as part of the wholeness, um, we could say it is the masculine and the feminine. So a masculine, capital M, I don't mean man. Yeah. I mean, like an esoteric jargon. <laughs> um, the masculine polarity, the masculine principle, capital M, capital P, and the feminine principle. So the masculine principle definition, if you like, of presence is that which is always already the case. It's completely present, completely fulfilled. Like before you take even one thought, or before you take a breath, or before you know we use a word to express or to define, it's just it's capital R reality. It's like mm. what's it's already complete. It's yeah. already one. Um, it's being capital B being in mm. a way. Okay, mm. it's the presence of God, if you like, um, and the feminine you might say, is that which is completely present in everything that is. And we, um, so that means like embodied embodiment in the, the whole universe um, and is constantly unfolding. So the being is always becoming. Mm. So, in other words, if I defined presence only as being, uh, it, uh, then it would be like, yeah, but that's only part of the story. That's like the Shiva part. Mm -hmm. But the Shakti part is that being is always becoming. And 
there are people who are into evolutionary enlightenment and becoming and evolutionary everything. And of course, Blavatsky theosophy was all about evolution, right? Mm -hmm. But Blavatsky knew enough to be established in being. Uh, I mean, I never read her extensively, you know, it was like way too much. But I, I'm sure she knew about that. You know, she was not just, she was a genius in her own way. And, Certainly. you know, um, so does that make sense? It is, it is the becoming of being. So if you only uh, confine yourself to being, that's like, half if you like and if you only confine yourself to becoming that's only half so if you ask yourself well what is it that's really becoming mm. being is becoming <laughs> um and you could also say remember above within around that being is becoming through every individual i mean through everything mm. but through you it's evolving in your unique way every moment and where the sacred mystery comes in is that we can define things endlessly and we need to do that we need words and concepts and all of that uh, it's not a dumbing down mystery it's not a mystification yeah. um, but the sense is that ultimately all of these definitions and um, differentiations are within the greater mystery. <clears throat> because like the, the ancient rishis of India, <clears throat> they said that Maya is, the origins of Maya are unfathomable. Yeah. In other words, no one knows, however realized they are, I mean, however enlightened they could have possibly be, no one knows how it is that being becomes, <laughs> how that which is transcendent uh, creates Maya, creates. <laughs> and by the way, let me just give you, I'm, uh, I'm no scholar of Sanskrit, but I think this is a very simple thing to understand. One, a masculine definition of Maya uh, is uh, illusion. You know, right? Yeah. A total unreality, okay? <laughs> but there's another meaning, which is very much Sanskrit, more tantric or more feminine, where Maya means divine power. Wow. You know, that's, that's Kundalini, that's Shakti, which is mm -hmm. divine power. Shakti, um, Saraswati, was the consort of Brahma, uh, Brahma was the creator god, mm -hmm. and his consort was Shakti, and every god had a um, their consort who was their power element, even though they were one, but they talk about it as two. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's like same thing as Shiva and Shakti, you know, Brahma and Saraswati, and she created everything through the divine mind, you know. Mm, mm. So, I mean, Brahma doesn't say, oh, this is all a waste of time. What are you doing? It's all Maya. It's all yeah. delusion. <laughs> and I would say that if you're not grounded in being and you just get ensnared and enmeshed 
in becoming, then it's Maya. Mm-hmm. So like in Buddhist terminology, that would be, um, what do they call it? Samsara, endless wheels of like suffering, right? But, you know, the Mahayanists taught in a very beautiful way that uh, nir- uh, samsara is nirvana and nirvana is samsara, not two. Yeah. But the thing is, um, you, if you just keep that mental, it's like, oh, well, if samsara is nirvana, then I'm already enlightened. And, <laughs> and, you know, and you know what, Ed, there's a lot of that as well. Uh, I, I've spoke to people and, and I uh, really do value them uh, as human beings and whatever, but I've spoke to them and there's people really struggling psychologically and they're like, well, there's nothing to do because it's just, and yeah. it's like, that's not really the, the you know, the embodiment, well, as you say. That's right. Well, the, you know, like Ken Wilber yeah. likes to say, everyone is right. You know, and yeah. I like, it. it's sort of like namaste. Yes, that's true. And, oh, that's true too. <laughs> you know? yeah. So every, anyone who says, hey man, there's nothing to do and there's no one to be, and that's true. Um, it's just, I would say to use a kind of a Buddhist, not really Buddhist terminology, but if you get fixated in that, if it becomes a fixation of the mind, you know, then the mind gets fixated and it takes the part as the whole. Yeah. And then you're not a learner anymore. You know, it's like, I'm there. I have it. Don't teach me anything. I know it all. I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> and you know uh it's it's limiting in in a way you know and then you get divisiveness because one part is warring against another part you know and then it's like shiva and shakti are at war so here's one thing i like to say i think it's a nice play on words non-dual n-o-n-d-u-a-l okay also is a homonym uh, for non-duel as N-O-N-D-U-E-L. Yeah. Peace, mm. non-warring, <laughs> you know, non-problematic. Mm. Um, now, I'm not saying, oh, I have mastered that. You know, I, it's totally obvious to me. I'm there already. But it's a deep insight, but it's not just a play on words. All words like Eckhart Tolle talk, talks about, and, you know, not like he made this up. All words are pointers. You know, I mean, sages have known that forever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Mm. Yeah. I have, a, I have a, a sort of a phrase that I, I use, and I call it Maya's Palace of Delusion. And I'll I'll be walking the dog, and, and like, I don't know, a leaf will fall off the tree, and I'll be like, oh, look at the beauty of Maya. You know? Yes. And it's like that divine paradox that we talk about and, and yes. noticing the beauty in, in something that might not quite be as it seems, but the imagination is right. overflowing and it's um, just so magnificent. And I do struggle sometimes with the um, like the radical non-dual approach where it's very, um, is it masculine? I don't know if that's probably the approach, very direct. Transcendent. Yeah. Well, there's a beauty in that too, because the notion of cutting through, you know, penetrating, it's very, Mm. you know, kind of masculine, 
even like sort of on the level of sex, you know, sexual or organic, you know, mm -hmm. the masculine is linear, cutting through, let's cut through all the bullshit. And they go right to the source, right to being. Mm. It's beautiful. But uh, what would the masculine be without the feminine? <laughs> you know, I mean, like, we wouldn't have a human race for of one course. thing. Mm. <laughs> you know, and it wouldn't be very much fun either you know mm. um yeah, and where would the feminine be without the masculine you know they're not meant to be opposed you know mm. um but um uh adi da who used the word radical a lot um and he used it in its uh core etymological meaning of radix to the root you get to the root of the matter and um and for him i guess i could say i don't want to speak for him but um <laughs> it was the um the prior presence that which is before we even talk about anything or before any problems or before we're any seeking it is already no problem it's fully there but we don't fully realize it you know and um so um i would say that the tr truly radical and i think he would say but i'm not going to try to speak for anybody else i really can't but um the truly radical which is that which is always already right mm -hmm. if you cut through to the being um being has no problem with becoming duh right i mean mm. you know uh, i mean could you imagine uh nirvana saying what's this samsara i don't like it you know no because that would be non-nirvanic it would be not nirvanic to see samsara as anything other or opposed to itself mm. Mm. you know so it would be at peace with that yeah and maybe even enjoying it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Does that make some sense? It does. And and you use the word wholeness, and I heard you yeah. say oneness. And again, yes. I'm, I'm conscious of the new agey type of words and fluff sure. and everything with that. What, what, what do you mean when you say wholeness? Uh, are you are you <laughs> literally going down the path of non-duality? Is that well, where you're going there? By the way, let me um, say something. <clears throat> In terms of non-duality, mm. there is a transcendent, a def, not let's say not definition, we could say that, a transcendent meaning of non-duality, which is complete oneness, no polarity, no different, right? It's like completely transcendent, okay? Um, and then any teaching that says, embodiment or becoming or complexity they go no 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 you're you're not enlightened all that's bullshit yeah forget it right but then it's not non-dual because they're opposing they're separating their non-duality from embodied non-duality so but they have part of the truth that's the masculine shiva being sense of um of non-duality but there's also the feminine what i'm calling the feminine which is all inclusive 
um, the all-pervading, what I call the all-pervading presence, or you can call it the Divine Mother. Yeah. So, yeah. and to see that those two are not two. Um, so I, 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 but you started out as, oh, you started asking about one and whole. So let me yeah. mention that. Okay, so let me do this as a, um, I'm gonna use this as a, uh, an excuse <laughs> to bring in something experiential. So like, <clears throat> let's, oneness and wholeness are as the masculine and the feminine. So right now, and I'm inviting anyone who's listening, but right now, intuit radically, directly, without even any thinking or figuring out like, was well, this really true? You know, just get <laughs> that reality is one. Everything that it just, it's all one. That sense of radical oneness. Reality is one. So that would be oneness. And it, you could think about it like, well, wait a minute, do you mean transcendent? Do you mean to include that? You know, it's like, I'm not even going there. It's just, yeah. before you even go anywhere, it's all one. Okay. Now that's the masculine. Now let's do the feminine. I'm calling the feminine. That's wholeness. Okay. So like right now, open to what you're experiencing in this present moment. So uh, it might include what you're sensing in your body, sensations. It, it might include your breathing, if you're aware of that. Uh, it could include uh, feeling or your felt sense of your present moment experience. It might include awareness and maybe some thinking. It might include, uh, you know, what you're hearing right now. Uh, it might include what you're seeing right now, if your eyes are open or non-seeing, if your eyes are closed, um, the totality of it, okay? So recognize that this present moment experience, however it is, is whole, inherently one whole. Now, it might not be the most harmonious experience. You see, you know, it's like we're not listening to the most beautiful, harmonious music. You might not have harmonious, you, know, you get the idea, you know, it might be not the most loving, harmonious feelings. But aside from any of that, and not opposed to any of that, including any of it, it is all one whole experience. You see, and just acknowledging that and experiencing that, which means total acceptance. Even if let's say there's a part of you that's going, hey, this ain't right. I don't like this, you know, resisting. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't feel comfortable with this or, but does this mean, you know, whatever. <laughs> This wholeness includes that also, you see? Mm. It's like spaciousness that includes everything, everything. And, um, and then you become at peace with it. Like, wow, 
right now I'm at peace even with my resistance and my fears, all of it, <laughs> you see. And then you realize, wow, this applies to every possible moment I could ever experience. There's nothing special about this moment, right? Like, oh, we have this special moment and we're doing this special meditation and it applies only for now for this special met. No, every possible experience, even when you're not conscious of it. But notice the difference when you become conscious of it. It heightens it. You know, it's, you know, it's, you enter into it in a more present way mm. and it invites you to wow i think i'm going to do that more often <laughs> it's pretty cool you know mm. and so the I, I originally started this by talking about the oneness and the wholeness they are different experiences they're different realms if you like um one is more transcendent and one is more inclusive. Um, but then you realize, oh my God, these are not two. <laughs> They're like Shiva and Shakti, you know? Mm. <clears throat> so that's how I would introduce oneness and wholeness. Yeah. And you know what I picked up there was um, like the notion of space. <clears throat> uh, there's no like, uh, it's like an intimate thing, intimate Absolutely. relationship with space. It's not, there's not actually thing there. Does that make sense? Right. right. And see, this is where the practice of presence, the embodied practice of presence. Mm. <clears throat> so, you know, I, I could make this like a little experiential if you want without Go for it. Yeah, much yeah. of it. Okay. So if you like right now, if you happen to be sitting, and just sense your feet on the floor. And what we mean by that is not being up in the head, noticing like, oh, oh, notice that your feet are on the floor. You know, I'm not trying to make fun of that. I'm just saying that what this really means is actually entering into the feet or the soles of the feet and actually sensing it. You can almost imagine breathing into the soles of the feet, okay? <clears throat> so sensing your feet on the floor without making this into a big practice or a technique, uh, sensing your seat in the chair and uh, sensing your arms on your legs or wherever they happen to be on the armrests or wherever, and through that, letting the sensing in the uh, feet percolate up the legs, uh, let the sensing in the palms of the hands percolate up the arms, and through that, sensing the arms and legs all at once, no doing, effortlessly. And through that, you're sensing the whole body. And I call this entering the stream, not quite the way the Buddhists mean it, but the sense is that, and it's interesting, the word sense, <laughs> it's a mental thing, right? Well, I don't get the sense of this, you know, the meaning of it, but sense also means actually sensing the body, sensing, right? And they're, again, not two, they're masculine, feminine. So 
um, you enter the flow, the stream that is already flowing, you're not creating it, you're not constructing it. And so it's a non-doing, even though there is something of a doing involved, you know, like, okay, I'm gonna enter the stream. But you don't get fixated on that, like, oh, here I am entering the stream and I'm doing it so well, and you know, like all of that. You're simply entering the stream and you realize that no one ever taught you how to sense in the body. Even if we made a big te technique out of it, and there are techniques, but basically the sensing is instinctual. You know, it's like no one ever had to teach you to do that. So there's this effortlessness, there's this willingness of entering the stream. And so you could say that's embodiment. You, you sense in your body. <clears throat> so that's the first part of it. And you might say, okay, well, that's cool. Now I'm present. But then someone might say, well, where does presence come in? You see? And so that's where the word alchemy comes in. And I'm not making that up. Hamid used that. Uh, I believe Gurdjieff must have used that because the Sufis used that. And, you know, the lead into the gold. And, I mean, Jung used that. <clears throat> so, and this is, the word lead is not used uh, disparagingly. You could say it, it is embodiment. It's the lead, okay? How does it open into the gold? Well, it's like this. If you enter into the sensing in your arms and legs, into the whole body, and you enter it directly, we could say radically, as if you didn't know what arms and legs were or what any of this meant, and you were sensing as if for the first time ever, you enter into it and you discover, oh my God, I'm, I'm entering into a spaciousness. I mean, putting words into it. <clears throat> because the notion that uh, I'm sensing into a body, which already is a mental construct. Oh, a body is, it starts here and it ends here and you could weigh it. And, you know, all these things that we know about a body, which is relatively true. But when you enter into it deeply presently, <clears throat> as if for the first time, it opens into spaciousness. And if you really enter into that through sensing, you recognize that it is unbounded and that's how you open into spaciousness. And then you recognize experientially that there is no fundamental separation between the sensing or we call body and space. And uh, <clears throat> so just let yourself feel that or experience that for a moment. And you recognize how obvious it is. <laughs> See, and you don't have to be enlightened. You know what I mean? You don't have to have a huge Satori. It is completely natural, completely here and now. It's just that most people don't, don't get it. They, they bypass it, so to speak. They pass over it. And so I remember Adida, 
you know, he didn't make this up, but, <clears throat> and this brings us back to oneness. See, space has always in esoteric traditions been the most primary symbol, if you like, for the oneness of being because space is completely non-corporeal, right? It is, you can't weigh it, you can't really measure it, even though you think you can. It's endlessness, it's complete oneness. There's no boundary. But if it's completely no boundary, well, what about bodies? Are bodies separate from space? No because it's oneness. And so as I was saying, Adi Da, he would say that everything that arises is a modification arising out of being or primordial or prior oneness. Now, I'm not saying, you know, he didn't make this up. It must come from ancient India, or, but it's it's here now. Who cares where it came from, right? It's that, it's like saying that Maya, which is, you know, differentiation, embodiment, the cosmic flow, you, the experience that you're having right now, all of that is Maya. And it is modification of space or primordial oneness. So it's like saying Maya is always arising out of primordial being, or Shakti is arising out of primordial Shiva, <laughs> okay? And they're not two. It's not like they're battling. In fact, uh, Arida, uh, one of his latest last books he wrote, <clears throat> called it not to, not dash to, is peace. So non-duality is peace. And yet, Alex, I, I know you would get a chuckle out of it. Um, how much controversy and non-peace there is in the dual in the non-dual spiritual world. <laughs> Everyone is like, no, I've got it right. You're wrong. <laughs> you don't understand it. You're, you know, endless warring. And it's like, you think, wait a minute. I understand that there's divisiveness and warring in the world. I mean, you expect that in political parties and religions, yeah. but not in non-dual spirituality where everyone is supposed to be enlightened and beyond <laughs> that. <laughs> You know, now I, I'm, I'm making a joke out of it, and yet there is something serious about it. It's like, where are we ever going to find leadership in terms of peace if we're not going to find it in our spiritual leaders? You know? Yeah. Duh. So, <laughs> so does that make some sense? It does. Uh, a, a couple of things arose when you said enter the stream obviously that's quite well known in buddhism sure um to what degree ed do you think when you consider um wholeness to what degree does the individual human body thinker have a choice in, in what's actually unfolding. 
uh, you know, the, the basic answer to that, Alex, is it's a sacred mystery. Mm. <laughs> um, if you realize that space itself is an, um, a divine or sacred mystery, if time is a sacred mystery, it, the sense of an individual is a sacred mystery, because uh, what does that mean? It's all differentiations within oneness, within divine oneness. And you're never going to get to the bottom of that. Nevertheless, by calling something a sacred mystery, you don't merely go, okay, well, you know, there's nothing to say. It's all a mystery, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's not the whole mystery. That's like a transcendent, that's mystification. So now let me answer that more is um, <clears throat> uh, in some sense, you, it's choicelessness, but in another sense, there is choice. And <clears throat> as an individual, um, <clears throat> uh, we, we are an individuation of universal presence. Uh, it's almost as if you want, you could say universal presence said, you know, I would like to have the experience of individuation. I think that would be really cool, you know, and that's like that saying that is so well known. I don't even remember where it comes from. <clears throat> and it's almost like universal wisdom by now <clears throat> that we are not a human being having a spiritual experience, we are spirit having a, a human experience, you know. Um, <clears throat> so it's like spirit is having this embodied human experience, a moment to moment, and we get to instantiate the freedom of spirit uh, in in our conscious choice. And um, I would say that <clears throat> an unenlightened version of that, I, I don't mean to get, you know, like heavy about words like that, but, you know, a kind of more unawake <laughs> version of that is I'm a separate individual. Of course, no individual is going to say it that way, but I'm a separate individual and I get to choose what the fuck, I, you know, what I like and no one's going to stop me or... I'm going to do what I, my life is mine to choose what I want to do. <clears throat> and that's their limitation. And, you know, you could say, well, universal spirit is having that experience, you know, mm -hmm. <clears throat> but a more awake version of that is, wow, I'm an individual as not a separate being, but I'm an individuation, a unique individuation of the universal. <clears throat> and I uh, get to moment to moment um, have the experience to choose uh, to instantiate divine will as it unfolds in my heart, you know? And so that's part of the both and. Mm. of the sacred mystery. Um, and I would say that who, given a choice, <clears throat> would choose to be un to do that unawake in such a limited called suffering sense that I'm separate 
rather than to choose as an individuation of the universal. It's so much more beautiful, so much less suffering, and you don't lose anything. You know, you don't lose individuality, you become more individual, mm -hmm. you know? So I would say, Alex, in that sense, it's like, it's, it's a choice, it's not even a choice anymore. It's like, given that choice, who would choose to suffer rather than not to suffer? You see, I'm not saying, you know, all of a sudden we don't suffer anymore, but that shift um, is so obvious, right? So in that sense, it's like Krishnamurti saying choiceless awareness, you know? <clears throat> and so, by the way, the sense of the entering the stream um, the effortlessness of it, you know? So like, for example, let's embody that. So like, if you go into your sensing right now and just feel how natural that feels, uh, even though it takes a little bit of choice to say, oh, I'm gonna put my attention into sensing in my body, right? Most people don't do that. Mm. They could, right? They could, but they don't, okay. But when you do that and you enter into it, you enter into this, um, as I say, the alchemy of the lead opening into the gold, but of presence. But because they're not two, you don't lose yours. Okay, now I'm lost. I, I, I lose my body and now I'm lost in the cosmos. No, the whole universe or the whole of space the unlimited is choosing, if you want to say, to embody in this body. And why not? Why not say yes? I mean, space has already chosen that. Why not say yes to it? It feels better. Okay, so anyway, getting back to sensing, you feel how natural that is, how, and if you go into your breathing, feel how effortless it is, right? I mean, you, I mean, unless you're being asphyxiated or, you know, whatever the problem, medical problem, uh, breathing is pretty natural and effortless. It's like the stream is flowing. And then if you go into your heart and I mean, you can have all kinds of feelings there, but the prior sense of just the felt sense of being alive, just the felt sense of, being this embodiment of the universal is enjoyable, you know, it's enjoyable. And then in the head, <clears throat> just being aware of all of this, uh, especially of presence, it's so obvious. And then if you go into your sense of yourself, which I didn't get into yet, mm. but let me just say it. <laughs> for now out of the blue. If we go into our head and I ask you, hey, Alex, how you doing? Tell me who's Alex? Or, you know, you ask me, who's Ed? You know, and I go, well, I was born here and I do this and that. It's all relative truth, but it's not who I am, right? It's the story. So if I say, well, let's drop into our heart and feel and sense and breathe and be in the heart 
and intuit and be our being or your own one's being, you instantly directly recognize there's no story about it, right? This beingness that is you, it was never born, it will never die. It doesn't even become in a certain sense. It has no moving parts. <clears throat> it's simply I, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it, before you say, oh, I am a man, I am a woman, I am getting old, or I'm wealthy, I'm poor, I'm, you know, or endless, right? Endless. It's simply I, you know, um, which is really the root sense of the Latin term ego is simply I. And that you could say that's the alchemy of the, of the ego as led, the personality and all my hang-ups and fears and um, uh, conditionings and like any grammatic structures and, you know, all of that. Uh, the alchemy is the lead turns into the gold of simply being I. You know, which has, it's not separate because just as the physical body the lead of the physical body opens into the spaciousness of space, the beingness in your heart, if you really go into that, there's no boundary. I know I say the heart, just as I said, sense in your arms and legs, but when you really deeply go into the heart as if you've ex experiencing that for, your, for the first time and you don't know Oh, the heart, oh, that's part, that's, you know, part of the body and it's located here. You just entered into it directly. There is no boundary between your sense of your being and beingness itself. That's the alchemy. And you don't have to be enlightened and it doesn't make you enlightened. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm so proud now I've arrived, you know, uh, you've just arrived at the paradoxical human condition <laughs> in a way. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so that sense of being is simple. And so that's what I refer to as the five bodies, uh, five being numerologically uh, man, human, uh, the word man coming from the word manas, which means Sanskrit for mind. So like right now, just to simplify <clears throat> physical body, like right now, without any theorizing, you can, you know, I could say, Alex, can you feel, sense, experience your physical body? Yep, got it. You know, I'm there, you know. Uh, then your vital body, your energy body, like how do you know that you're alive right now? Can you feel it? Can you feel well, you don't have to be having some amazing energetic experience, whatever it is, just, yep, I'm alive. I can feel my vital body. And then I can say, can you feel your emotional body? Say, well, I'm not really feeling much. And I could say, well, are you having a felt sense of this present moment experience? You know, like just whatever it is, you know, that's the root of the 
feeling body or the emotional body. And then I can say, <clears throat> are you aware? Are you aware <laughs> of being alive right now or having an experience, you know? Yep, yep, okay, let's call that the mental body, okay? And then I can say, <clears throat> Uh, the causal body, which is using a kind of theosophical mm -hmm. term, which derived out of, you know, uh, Sanskrit, because that's where theosophy had its roots. But anyway, the causal body, are you aware of yourself? Or I could say, are you aware of who is aware of the physical body or the vital body or the the emotional body or the you know having a feeling or aware of hearing or seeing so just in that without getting theoretical are you aware of your causal body you know like you're aware of your being so those are the five bodies and it's just a, a simple way of referencing yeah. And then talking about wholeness, can you experience all of them as one right now, as a whole? In other words, <clears throat> your physical experience, your sensing, uh, your vital experience, your emotional experience, just in this present moment, your mental experience, you know, there was just your awareness, your awareing. You're breathing, you're awareing, you're sensing, and your uh, your awareness of your being. <clears throat> um, can you be aware of them? Can you recognize that they're all one whole experience? They're not five different experiences, even though I call them bodies, but I'm not fixating on them as separate. <clears throat> Are these five separate things that then need to be integrated and put, you know, like Humpty Dumpty put back together mm -hmm. again? I'm not denying that there's a need for healing. Oh, for sure. That would be spiritual bypassing, right? Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying is there is a wholeness, an inherent wholeness of our whole being as, as a human being that you can open to right now, not as a goal, not as an end product. And so then, not like we're gonna go there, but I'm saying <clears throat> from that sense of wholeness, which opens into the sense of oneness, which transcends bodies and experiences, it's that prior oneness. <clears throat> and those are not two in the what I call the divine mystery, the sacred mystery of the divine slash human, if you like. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> that from this prior sense of wholeness, we can then, like if we were doing a therapy session, so to say, okay, let's say mm -hmm. I say, so Alex, um, you know, how are you doing in your heart? How are you feeling? You know, I'm not speaking for you. <clears throat> we could do this for ed you know but it's like well i you know actually i i have some fears going on and you know whatever right and then we can say okay so can you let's be with that from this wholeness you see now this wholeness completely accepts 
whatever you're experiencing right now. You see, it it's that attitude of welcoming. It's not saying it's all great and, you know, oh, great, I'm fearful. Oh, wonderful. You know, no, it's not trying to change it. It's like, let's be with it. Let's feel it. And from that place of wholeness, it's okay to feel it. It's okay that that's how I am right now. You see, <clears throat> um, in a way, I, used, I learned that in Diamond Heart, except they didn't emphasize the Arida or the Ramana Maharshi part of the always already, hmm. but that they would emphasize inquiry. So, you know, like a, I don't know what they would call, be, were called therapists or teachers. You know, they would say, let's say, okay, and wonderful. Um, you know, I'm not speaking for them, but you know, it's like, okay, so you feeling some fear? Like, where, where do you, where do you feel? Oh, it's kind of in my heart. Okay, well, you know, go into your heart and just can you allow yourself to feel that? And can you breathe into that? Right? You see what I mean? And of course, you're doing this in the company of another person who is holding the space. Mm. <clears throat> so I don't have to focus on holding the space. It's like they are holding the space and I can go into my heart and feel that fear with a sense of curiosity rather than, in other words, it's like saying, the awareness that is aware of the fear is not itself fearful. Mm -hmm. The awareness or the presence that is aware of the anger is not itself angry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> See, so it's this non-anger part uh, of your being that can be curious about the anger without wanting to get rid of it, to fix it. And yet, the simple act of being with it takes the sting out of the anger. Um, and yet, without doing away with it, you know, it's like, oh, let me be with that. And, uh, you know, wherever that goes. So that's, that's the psychological adjunct uh, or application to the spiritual mm. you see? so the spiritual transcends and includes uh, i mean ken wilbur i don't know if that's his favorite phrase but you know one of them yeah. <laughs> and he'd make that up i don't know where it comes from you could google it or whatever who, I think it's who, probably uh, spiral dynamics. I don't know if you've heard of Have you heard of spiral oh, dynamics? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it's probably but I'm that. saying it's way, actually, you know where it comes from? Hegel. Yeah. Hegel, now, of course, did it originate with him? No. I, mm. But he made it famous, I think. I don't know what the German was. And, I, you know, I loved Hegel. I read the entire phenomenology of mind or spirit, depending upon how you... Um, translate it but you see that let me just give you this little tidbit so i would read hegel and it's like oh my god you'd have to be a fanatic to ever want to read you know 400 pages of, the, of that dense material like reading 500 700 pages of blavatsky right yeah yeah 
but let's say you were a, a philosopher's philosophy student with a sense of curiosity and inquiry, you know, and of course the dedication to read it. But then you get like, wow, when it boils down to it's something so simple, everyone should know about this, but it's locked up in the esotericism of Hegel, you see. But it's like the the truth of it, it's not like we want to dilute it and, you know, popularize it and, you know, oversimplify it. Um, but nevertheless, this Aquarian sense that was alive in me, if you want to call it that, it's like, I want everyone to know about this. This is not meant to be only for esoteric philosophers or theosophists, right? Everyone should know. And so I could say that the practice of presence which anyone can learn, right? I mean, it's like, hey, you're already practicing the presence, you know, you just don't know it, you know, yeah. but right, it's like, you're already doing that. And you like, you're already sensing, you're already breathing, you know? <laughs> you're already whole, you just don't like know it, you don't notice it, but you could, you could. Mm -hmm. So the same thing with transcend and include. Um, <clears throat> you can become aware of that so the transcend part transcend and include is another way of expressing shiva shakti the transcendent and the imminent or the being and the becoming mm -hmm. uh, the being and the you know, the evolutionary you know and so um <clears throat> so does that make some sense yeah it does yeah mm. transcend and include and so by the way i could even make a little wordplay a little, a little joke you know among philosophers or whatever um <clears throat> when you really get into transcendence and you go oh my god transcendence transcends everything it transcends form it transcends becoming thinking it basically transcend all the bodies so to speak right mm -hmm. all the mm -hmm. differentiations but then you realize oh my goodness, if I really enter transcendence, I transcend transcendence. Mm. I transcend the separation between transcendence and eminence. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like, imagine the Buddha, you know, I'm simple, you know, a Buddhist probably would go, oh, this guy is, <laughs> you know, um perverting buddhist doctrine you know but i'm not speaking as a buddhist obviously i'm not speaking as anybody hmm. um except me you know but anyway imagine the buddha who originally wanted to get out of the wheel of suffering right so that was the theravada of course he didn't call it theravada only the mahayanas called that theravada and then mahayana <clears throat> and then the mahayanas but imagine the buddha going, oh my God, you know, I, uh, I am off the wheel, I am awake, you know. But then he realized, wow, I could just disappear, you know. But then compassion came in, right? That's the feminine part. Like, you know, actually, supposedly, according to the legend, Mara, who is the tempter, like Maya, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Mara said, oh, no one would ever get what, you know, you, you are so 
special and so transcendent you know no one would ever understand what you mean you you shouldn't you might as well just disappear and you know and then he realized that that was a temptation mm. you know to to merely get lost in transcendence so his heart or compassion you know because he realized wow you know i made this alchemy from my old life of suffering into a life of non-suffering and i realized that that's the potential of every human being i must go back you know i must go back mm. to humanity you know and so he transcended that split between transcendence and imminence and so he didn't really say in his consciousness um oh my god i'm i'm leaving nirvana now i'm entering uh, uh, samsara ah, this is scary you know he realized wait a minute uh my enlightenment transcends the split <laughs> between mm -hmm. nirvana and samsara so when i enter into the world there is no world <laughs> you know there is no world as a thing ding on sick a thing in itself mm. so i i've never left nirvana you know and that's where with the mayanas and i think it was yeah. the heart sutra that sort of codified it if i recall right uh but anyway i'm not a scholar but anyway i think it was in the heart sutra that it said nirvana is samsara samsara is nirvana now it's easy to say but what I would say, Alex, is I'm I'm not trying to dumb it down, and um, I'm just trying to make it available. Sure. And hopefully, when people get it, they'll go, "Oh my God, I want to enter into this." They don't. They're not going to merely say, "Oh, great, thanks, Ed. You know, I got it. I, I've arrived." Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that they would go and see. Another thing I would say is. Um, as you enter the stream and you experience like wow this feels so natural this feels so effortless this feels so enjoyable this feels so obvious this is so simple why would i say no to it why would i not enter more deeply into the stream why would i not say yes deeply you mm. see mm. So that would be the invitation. Now, what someone could say, oh, no, that's that's the invitation of Mara or Maya. Oh, that's the temptation. That's the tempter. No, you must say no, you know. Um, and I don't want to demonize the word no, because transcend and include. You don't lose the no just by saying yes. It's both and. Mm -hmm. So if that makes some sense. Yeah, sure, sure. And Ed, I want to get into a little bit um, of the mandalas. Uh, okay. I watched your presentation that you did, I don't know, maybe last year, maybe. Um, yeah, and probably. You, uh, you went through a lot of the mandalas. Yeah. Uh, uh, did you create them? I mean, I'm just flicking through them now. Can That's I... a great, it's a great <laughs> question. Um, you know, I'm just sharing the screen. Oh, okay. There. Well, is that why don't useful? You start with, 
Yeah, sure. Yeah. So that's panel zero. I call it panel zero. Now, I had no notion of any of these terms, panel zero. By the way, um, I made a lot, a lot of mandalas. And a mandala is just a Sanskrit word for circle or really sacred circle. <clears throat> and by the way, uh, let me just say this. My interpretation of the sacredness of it is if you look at the outer circle, okay, that, that larger circle, <clears throat> um, if you look at it as including all the circles within that, it's a wholeness, right? So that's the inclusive part. That's the feminine part, okay? If you look at the central circle, um, that would be the circle as a zero, right? It's, uh, you know, I know that zero doesn't look exactly like a, a circle, but it's more or less. <laughs> um, so the central circle is empty. Uh, so it, it, and you could say it symbolizes transcendence, no thing, right? So that's the masculine mode of oneness or the of the mandala, of, of the circle. And the outer circle, which is more the cosmic womb, the feminine that includes everything, you might say that the central circle says no, you know, it's the divine no. It's like no to manyness, no to differentiation, no to fullness, just emptiness, pure emptiness, right? And you say, yes, yes. And then the outer circle, the feminine, the Shakti part says, yes, and even says yes to the emptiness, <laughs> see? And the combination of the emptiness and the fullness, the transcendence and the inclusiveness is the sacred mystery of the mandala. Does that make some sense? Mm, yes. Okay. So um, if you want to show, uh, so that's a template. I Before we go on, I could say, this was not the original mandala that I used. By the way, when I said that I, remember I said the first day I learned the practice, the embodied practice of presence, I would sit for, I don't know, 15 minutes or however long I would sit. And every moment, just like, oh my God, oh my God. You know, I would just get these revelations, you know, and then I would write them down and, you know, I'd never stop writing in a way. And um, it's never stopped revealing itself. And everything I've done ever since has been unfolding of that. And I became like a dedicated student of this. Now, I never thought of it as, you know, oh, this is special and I'm a student of the Shakti or the press. You know, I just was open to it. You know, I was curious. I was available. And everything just followed ever since. So I would say that uh, my original mandala, <clears throat> I had a, a circle in the center. I don't have a picture of it, but... There was a circle above, below, to the left and the right. And so that was a five-fold mandala. And I I think I used uh, the five elements for that. But then it morphed over time. I can't explain how that happened. It just happened by being available to it. I, I'm not saying I'm the first to ever 
invent this or discover this. I can't believe that. Um, but what you have here <clears throat> is a central circle, and you take any circle of any size, <clears throat> and there will be six circles of the exact size that could be tangential to it and tangential to each other. And that's part of the sacred mystery, the sacred uh, geometry. I've never even seen it uh, in Pythagoras. Hmm. I, as I say, I can't believe that I made it up, but you know, I've never really researched it. I leave it to others. I, uh, but anyway, <clears throat> that became the template of everything I've done ever since. So if you'll go to uh, the next one, panel one, Okay, so you see it's the same, same template. But now we have not only sacred geometry, we have sacred color, we have sacred word. <clears throat> and um, yeah, I guess, and sacred number in a way, although, I mean, there are no numbers appearing in it. But, you know, we have the I mean, people uh, numerologically, uh, you know, they say seven is a lucky number or is a sacred number or a mystical number. Well, in a way, this is one way I could illustrate how seven is a sacred number because it is the central one surrounded by these six uh, tangential circles. And <clears throat> by being tangential, there's no overlap, which means each one is a oneness, you see? Now imagine, I mean, there are many ways I can get into this, but just imagine that each one, let's say space said, okay, I am oneness, space is one. And, uh, you know, and I'm the only one, you know, and like I have the true religion, the true way, you know what I mean? And um, and then t a time said, no, no, you're wrong. I'm the one. I'm, you know, because it's all now, you know, and you're you're full of it, and you're you're a heretic, you know, uh, endless, right? Yeah. Uh, but you see, when you look at it all together in this larger circle that embraces all of them, says, stop. You're all right. You're all one. <laughs> you're all the same one. And so you could say that the transcendent oneness was not satisfied, not that it was unhappy, but it was like, okay, I've been hanging out in pure emptiness of oneness forever. And uh, yeah, that's not enough. You know, I don't know. There's no accounting for it, right? There's no accounting for how being uh, emptied or entered into oneness or maya, you know, as divine power. Anyway, so oneness said, you know, <clears throat> I'm going to duplicate myself. But it's not, it would be interesting to just have six circles around me and each one is called one, 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 one. Yeah, too repetitious. So, <clears throat> you know, uh, the one is endlessly creative, right? So it says, okay, I'm going to create and call one space, one time, one life, one love, one mind, one self. 
And uh, so anyway, that's one way of approaching it. But I can also approach it from the human perspective. I could say, well, Alex, you know, here we are <clears throat> having a human experience um, <clears throat> and we've already opened into presence. And um, <clears throat> we could say, well, right now we're having this one experience, right? This wholeness of experience. So, but if we wanted to differentiate that, well, we could say, well, are you having a spatial experience? Are you ex experiencing space right now? Are you experiencing space? You could say, yeah, yeah, I'm experiencing space. Okay, how about time? Are you experiencing time right now? Yeah, yeah sure. Are you experiencing life? Yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I now this gets a little more challenging. If I said, are you experiencing love? You might go like, well, I don't know if I'd call it love. <laughs> but, you know, I could say, well, are you enjoying having this experience of space? Yeah, it's pretty cool. How about this experience of time? Yeah. How about this experience of life right now? Yeah, pretty cool. I like it. I'm enjoying it. Well, you say, well, that's love. Are you loving? this experience. Yeah, I'm loving it. <laughs> you see, um, so, okay, then we go to mind and we say, well, are you aware right now? Are you having an awareness experience? Yeah. Are you aware of yourself? We're not even going to try to define that, just some sense of yourself. Say, yeah. Are you aware of oneness right now? Some uh, sense of wholeness? Yeah, I'm aware. Uh, are all these different, the sense of space, the sense of time, life, love, mind, self, are they all one or are they all separate? Well, you could say, well, they're different. I mean, I wouldn't want to say they're merely, you know, blenderize them and they're all one. They're all different, but they're all one in a sense. They're all differentiations of primary oneness. So the primary oneness, let's say the central oneness, differentiates itself, but never loses its oneness. You know what I mean? It's never fragmented. It's not a problem. It's not like the one goes, oh, my God, I've gotten myself into a pickle. Now I have all these separate things and... Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I, I'm lost, I've lost my oneness, now I have a big problem, and no, it, the one is actually enjoying itself, you know. So another way of saying this is <clears throat> each of these seven is a portal into presence. So for example, um, if, I mean, if you want to show uh, panel two, <clears throat> okay, so here, um, these, uh, and we could go back to panel one in a minute, but now what we've done, or well, I could say what I've done, I, I, don't, I don't in a way take credit because it, it came through me, but it took years. It's not like, bingo, you know, I sat down and made it up. So these five bodies, see the black is the, so the black for space is the physical body. The red 
uh, for life is the vital body in Mahara. The green, which actually is not so much love, it's more compassion. Uh, love is more rose pink, and I'll tell you about that in a moment. But And then the blue of mind is in the mental body. So what we're doing is we're translating what used to be, or in panel, in uh, panel what, what I call panel one, was like ideas in the mind of God. So to use a platonic, okay? These are ideas in the, uh, the mind of God. So now in panel two, we're translating them into human form. And the experiential part is this. <clears throat> so you take the black. Remember I said, if you sense in your arms and legs and through that the whole body, that is your opening into spaciousness as a presence. Because you realize that that spaciousness that you open into is not just a private experience. And therefore, you don't uh, cling to it. Like, oh, now I want this experience all the time. It's like you open into this eternal spaciousness that abides in itself. So, but from a human standpoint, we anchor the opening into spaciousness in the sensing in the body. And we enter into life by sensing and breathing your aliveness in the, well, in the arms and legs and the, the belly in the, in the hara. So that's the anchor. And then uh, the anchor for opening to love is the heart. Now, as I said, you know, you might not feel very loving there, <clears throat> but let's say right now, you know, you don't have any major fears going on or anything. You could just like, hey, you know, it's enjoyable. I'm feeling into my heart. <clears throat> and let's say that opens because this, this, the alchemy of the sensing sets the pace where every uh, lo localization opens into uh, non-localization. So the heart, the, the sense of enjoyment or, you know, I'm kind of enjoying this, it opens into a an unbounded enjoyment. And then you go, oh my God, I, I feel infinitely held in this presence that is enjoying my experience. And so I feel held in infinite love, even when, when the content is not very loving. That's part of the unconditionality of it. I mean, if it said, well, I love you uh, so long as you're feeling loving, <laughs> well, that wouldn't be very unconditional, would it, mm. you know? So, um, so to the degree that you open into that sense of loving presence, then you can come back into your human experience and be curious about how am I feeling right now, you know, or, uh, you know, well, maybe I am a little fearful, uh, okay, or nervous or whatever. And can I be aware that I can, that it's, it's being loved, not loved away, 
not to fix it and get rid of it, but to love it because, wow, this is part of my healing process. This is, this is the way that my being is unfolding right now. You see, let me be with it. You see, okay, so then the head is, the anchor is looking and listening from the center of the head. That's also a non-doing. I mean, like, for example, when you're listening in all directions, are you efforting at that? Are you doing that? No, it's completely effortless. And even when your eyes are open and you're looking, well, then it seems like a little more effort, like, wow, I could look here, I could look there. But if you just look, uh, you realize, wow, that's effortless too, you know? So the then you can open into the spaciousness of the listening, just open into the, the vastness of the listening. And then you realize that what the, the looking space and the listening space have in common is an awareing or an awareness space, which is also effortless. <clears throat> and that opens into what we call spacious consciousness. And the same thing, you now here the, the, the uh, violet is the, in the vertical column as the eye that unites head, heart, and hara that Gurdjieff spoke so much about. <clears throat> and then you have two colors that, or two of these um, presences, or I call the mysteries, that fall outside of the five bodies. That's the white and the yellow, you see that? <clears throat> now the white is like the, uh, the encompassing circle in panel one. And that's the oneness <clears throat> that applies to every one of the bodies, but also to all of them. <clears throat> and, um, and that's where I said, you can experience, you can recognize and experience that all of these bodies all together are a oneness. They are arising in eternal, undifferentiated and all-inclusive oneness. Now, what about the yellow? <clears throat> so that was the oneness presence. The yellow, remember, was time. That's the nowness presence. All the bodies are arising in the now, right? Uh, your feeling, your aliveness, your sensing, your looking, your, your sense of I, it's all arising in the now. So that's like the, uh, that's where the yellow and the white are like all encompassing. So, uh, <clears throat> and then we could go to the next one if you want, but do you have any questions? Because, you know, you obviously, we could spend any number of time, yeah. time to any one of these. <laughs> No, let's let's just let's just move on. I mean, we could go really deep here, couldn't we? But right. it's, we haven't well, got any time for way, that. Yeah. Well, let me just say uh, what what I mean by liberated human. I, I yeah. don't really mean that as some ideal and goal to get to, but you notice it's a play on words or letters. <clears throat> All the words in the left hand column were are L words, and L in Hebrew means uh, God. God, yeah. You know, Michael, Mikael, I think, is the power of God or the strength of God or something, you know, and Raphael is, I think, the 
the love of God or the healing power of God or, you know, whatever it is. Anyway, so El is uh, like Elohim. Anyway, so the, the, the words in the right-hand column are all H. So the H part, the human part, is the localization, the locality, you know, like the head, the heart, the hara, and then I just added the who, <clears throat> which is like W-H-O, you know. Well, who am I? Oh, oh, oh I'm Ed, <laughs> you know, or I am I. <laughs> and <clears throat> the left-hand column doesn't really tell you where they are, but it's like Lord, light, love, you know, they're kind of more like the universal presence, although the last one, locus, you know, uh, or location, <clears throat> that's what locus means. Uh, <clears throat> uh, but it's also related to space. So a liberated human, or let me say this, the more the five bodies are open or uh, translucent or transparent to the presences. So for example, the more your heart is open to love, the more your physical body is open to space and so on, okay? The more your mind is open to, uh, here I call it light, but you can call it universal consciousness, the more liberated you are because then you're in but not of. That's like transcend, include. You're in it, you're in the body uh, because that's what, that's what presence, universal presence wants, right? We said spirit is having a human experience. That's what it wants, you know? Mm -hmm. um, if it didn't want it, it wouldn't happen. Like Alan Watts said something beautiful. He said, I trust universal consciousness or whatever, that if it really, if the universe was really a problem, that universal consciousness would be smart enough to end it <laughs> long ago, yeah. <laughs> you know, but the fact that it didn't means that it's enjoying it. It's that it's no problem. You know, <laughs> it wants to keep the Maya going. So anyway, that's the sense. So it's not like, oh, my God, I don't think I'm liberated enough. Uh, it's just the more you enter into it as a natural, enjoyable, effortless process, the more you want to enter into that and the more sort of liberated you are. In other words, you're liberated from the fixation of taking yourself, identifying yourself as one of the bodies mm. or any of the bodies. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we could go on to the next one if you like, and maybe we'll just have the first three and sure. we could leave it. So anyway, <clears throat> the first three correspond. Um, well, let me say this. Panel one and panel two are the Shiva Shakti, the masculine feminine. Panel one, as I said, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> was like ideas in the mind of God. That's like more mm -hmm. transcendent, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> panel two is the feminine part, uh, which is uh, embodiment or form. Okay, so that's the Shiva Shakti, if you like, the masculine, feminine, panel one and panel two. Um, panel three, <clears throat> um, now we have 
a, a triad. And the triad or trinity, if you like, like is uh, to use kind of an ancient words, <laughs> although they're English, God, man, world. So we could say uh, panel one was like the God part, the, uh, you know, the ideas in the mind of God. Panel two was uh, translated into the human form, okay? Uh, it's also been called heaven, human, earth, you know, that the human exists between heaven and earth. Uh, this is an ancient, ancient um, theme. So how is this uh, applied to the world? Well, you'll notice that each of the colors and each of the, uh, what I call the mysteries or the aspects of presence is now each one is co corresponds to one of the main religions uh, of the world. <clears throat> and so, for example, we have the um, the upward turned triangle. I'm glad we're talking about this because this gives us another example, I think a beautiful example of um, the Shiva Shakti. The upward turned triangle um, uh, is represents the um the transcendent <clears throat> um and th the three that i selected were hinduism buddhism and Taoism. now some might say well does Taoism is not as universal as buddhism and hinduism okay well we can argue that if you want but you know what i'm saying uh so anyway uh, and I'll get on, um, but so let me just talk about the triangles. The downward tri triangle represents the Western, major Western religions, which are, I think, way more <laughs> obvious. It started with Judaism um, and then Christianity and then Islam, okay? Um, <clears throat> and I think we could say that typically, conventionally anyway, um, the three Western religious traditions are were much more embodied in the sense of, you know, this world and the individual. And uh, in fact, traditionally, you had one life. Now, anyone who has studied esotericism, uh, Judaism, at least Kabbalistically, esoterically, knew about reincarnation, Christianity had its reincarnation, and, and I'm sure the Sufis had it. But anyway, they were more this here now, <laughs> you know, and the upward turned were more about transcendence, you know, like uh, Buddhism wanted to get, you know, a, a step off the wheel of samsara, Taoism, uh, <clears throat> uh, but that's not so simple because actually Taoism was very embodied, uh, very into the flow of the feminine and all. And Hinduism uh, was very Shiva Shakti, you know, I mean, but uh, I'll get into more later. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, this integration of the upward and downward triangle um, is itself the sacred geometry of the heart chakra in Hinduism, because it's the middle chakra. 
uh, it's where the upward and the downward meet in harmony or in love, you could say. Okay. <clears throat> so um, there, there are two major things more I want to say here. So uh, first, why did I make these attributions? Well, of like, okay, well, I think it pretty is pretty much simple that Buddhism relates to mind. Uh, you know, because Buddhism was all about <clears throat> uh, purify the mind or transcend the dualistic mind or the problem is the mind. And uh, Hinduism is typified by self, uh, tattvam asi, which is know thyself, I am that. And Taoism, it might be a little more arguable, but Taoism is very much in water very much in the flow of in the flow um uh, like the flow of time i think of the flow of time as the horizontal uh, in sacred geometry symbolized by the horizontal line and the eternal now is symbolized by the vertical axis if you like and by the way, when you get the vertical together with the horizontal, what do you get? A plus sign, mm -hmm. right? And that means that the wholeness, the, the, the vertical is not over against, that, that's the transcendent, the masculine, the Shiva, and the horizontal is the Shakti, the feminine, the imminent, they are not at war. They're not two. They are plus. It's a plus. <laughs> you know what I mean? The wholeness. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I was saying Christianity is love. Uh, Islam, uh, especially in Sufism, if you ever read uh, <clears throat> Hazrat and Ayat Khan, the Sufis are all into oneness. Um, and how is Judaism related to space? Well, <clears throat> um, this gets a little bit esoteric, but I'll try to make it simple. Um, the, uh, you know, Judaism began with the old, you know, what's the Christians called the Old Testament with creation. And the primary problem for philosophers was if God is <clears throat> infinite, right absolutely infinite how could god create a finite universe because that would be like adding something to infinity right so that's the sacred the divine mystery they couldn't figure it out and um so i don't remember who it was but they came up with this term simsum i don't know what it is in hebrew but it's T-Z-I-M-U-M, -I, I think, it, it, something like that, <clears throat> um, which meant like something like contraction, like um, we see the problem is if God creates something with no separation between the finite and the infinite, what keeps it finite? Why, why doesn't it just completely open up into the infinite, you know, and then, but that would prevent God from having a finite universe, but God apparently wanted to do that, you know? So, you know, the old joke about, 
can God create a stone so heavy that he couldn't lift it? Say, well, I, I guess he couldn't, but if he's all powerful, I guess he could mm. he could do it. You know? But it's one of those little conundrums, you know. But th- what it talks about is really it's pointing to the sacred mystery. Sure. So anyway, so that's how Judaism relates to space. Simpson is God's ability, the Almighty is God. God's ability, the, or let's say the infinite's ability to create a finite universe without limiting itself. The infinite created a little space, <laughs> if you like, where the finite universe can be. <laughs> so, okay, so let me just finish up now with the other part. Now, I think it's obvious how shamanism relates to life. I mean, that's the divine mother. I mean, the shamans were all into, you know, the universal life. Now, what? why do I call this the mandala of the three ages? Well, Carl Jaspers, J-A-S-P-E-R-S, I don't remember when he lived, like 20th century or something. He had the notion... I think he was also an historian too, philosopher, historian. He um, had the notion of what he called the axial age. Now, I'm not doing this exactly as he had it. I think it was from 800 BCE to 200 AD, something like that. He said in that little window of time, there was a huge influx of consciousness in the great world religions in which even though judaism was around before that for example Mm -hmm. didn't just begin then but it had an efflorescence during which it had its greatest prophets like i don't remember jeremiah ezekiel i don't know there was this huge efflorescence and i think hinduism also even though it had roots going back ages, mm. um, it had its efflorescence, like maybe in, um, well, he was actually in 600 AD, I believe, um, with the founding of Advaita. But anyway, look, I, I'm not an historian, I, I'm not a scholar, but anyway, so he gave that window in time. Um, <clears throat> Christianity was in there. Now, Islam, didn't was not there because that came like what i don't remember 300 a.d or whatever yeah but nevertheless i'm not trying i don't feel bound by carl jaspers i'm you know creating my own whatever okay mm-hmm. so what i'm saying is <clears throat> in that window of time which we'll call the axial age we have these three major world traditions. Now there's the pre-axial age, which is where all of these differentiated out of, and that's what I called universal shamanism. Uh, Now, of course they didn't call it that, you know, uh, but you know, we could call it that. Um, It was the mother of all religions out of which all religions came you know, whether you call it this or that. And, um, you know, even though Christianity 
was like a child of universal shamanism and didn't treat its mother very nicely, right? And considering how the Christian settlers related to the Native Americans, but we're not going to go there, okay? That's a whole other topic, right? But anyway, um, so there's the pre-axial age, there's the axial age, and then what I'm calling the post-axial age, but I'm calling the second axial age. Now, none of these words, none of these terms are actually in this image because, you know, it would just get cluttered. But what I'm suggesting now, of course, I can get there's no guarantee. But what I'm suggesting is that what we're, humanity is living through right now is the birth or the emergence of you can call it a new age, um, what I'm calling universal presence spirituality. So remember we said something about spirit is enjoying having a, a human experience. So in panel two, it was all about like the individual. But in panel three, which relates to the world, um, we're not focusing on spirit enjoying incarnating as the individual <clears throat> although of course christian christianity could not have been around except for jesus and christian individuals but we're, we're taking a macro view <clears throat> so it's like saying imagine that spirit said i wasn't i i was happy doing universal shamanism that was really cool you know i really got into that but that wasn't enough i wanted to differentiate it and create judaism and christianity and islam you know and all these different world religions now on the human level they weren't having a grand time right uh, judaism battled against christianity christianity battled against jews on and on and on but that's the human that's how the human world is or has been <clears throat> but now imagine that universal spirit said <clears throat> you know not that i want to do away with shamanism and not that i want to do away with buddhism or any of my creations <clears throat> but i think we've had enough warring and you know du du dueling right okay now what i, I what I want to move into is a universal present spirituality that transcends and includes all the different religions. In other words, it's not going to wipe out Buddhism or any of them because uh, universal presence enjoys them. They're, they're beautiful. <clears throat> but what it wants is it wants people to wake up and which is actually happening, mm. uh, people are waking up. Now, they're not calling it universal pr presence spirituality, but in effect, that's what's happening. People are waking up outside and inside the traditions where they're realizing they're opening up to presence, um, spiritual presence, but it's universal. And they're realizing that the same fundamental presence that was in Christianity is the same fundamental presence as in Judaism and Hinduism and so on. They might, a Christian might stay a Christian, 
a Hindu might stay a Hindu, but they'll be in it, but not of it. So uh, let me just finish with saying this. <clears throat> By looking at panel three, we get to step outside of the individual and see what we are entering into collectively, or, you know, I'm just saying, I don't know this, but imagine that this is what we're going through. Uh, the shamans or the uh, uh, indigenous people I hear, when they look at the mess that we're making of, around the world, they're saying that we're going through a uh, an initiation, a collective humanity is going through a collective initiation, a rite of passage. Um, and that's where we're on. So I would say the more consciousness individually and collectively that we open up to or awaken into universal presence spirituality, the more we'll open to an inclusive non-duality, but N-O-N-D-U-E-L-I-T-Y. <laughs> mm. mm. You see what I'm saying? So um, anyway, uh, if you want to, I'll hand it back to you, Alex, and then, you know, we can stay on this screen or go back to us. Yeah. Uh, does, does this make some sense? It does. It's, I mean, I, I think you could probably talk about this for days. Uh, I know. You know, so, uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, fa fa fascinating stuff. I mean, um, how would that sort of come through you um, to be to be created in the world, as it were, is, is pretty, yeah. pretty special. Because uh, to me, that's, I'm a very simple guy. And that's, I am too. <laughs> and that's simpl that simplifies, um, you know, a, a potentially very complex topic. So kudos. No, I, I love simplicity. And by the way, that's why the center of all the mandalas fundamentally, especially mm. mandala panel one, <clears throat> is oneness. <clears throat> it's all about oneness. Yeah. And every differentiation is a differentiation of oneness. So um, remember when I said it's natural, effortless, enjoyable, um, obvious, simple. Yeah. Well, like the KISS principle, keep it simple, Sally, stupid, you know, whatever, however you want to keep it simple, Sam, you know. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, I would say that oneness loves to endlessly complexify things yeah. because otherwise it would just it, it would have just hung out in endless oneness. Sure. <laughs> you know? I was I was doing some writing this morning. <clears throat> And uh, I used a blade of uh, grass as an analogy of, of the potential complexity. And we could go into the physics and the biology and we could write essays oh. on a blade of grass. Or you can simply look at a blade of grass and it's interconnectedness with everything. And oh, it's so God. simple, yeah. yet so complex, depending on the paradigm under which you want to be operating. Right, and then we could even get into Walt Whitman, Leaves of yeah. Grass. Love Walt Whitman, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Ed, I mean, we've been going for over two hours, and we've only I had one, one internet dropout, which is a pretty good. I usually have one an hour, so that's pretty good. <laughs> um, 
Well, people uh, uh, can only stay so long, you know. I mean, come on. Yeah. Well, I've loved speaking to you, Ed. Is there anything you want to share with people? Uh, well, well, one thing is, you know, these three panels are part of a whole that goes into seven panels and then into yeah. nine. Uh, so it does get much larger. And uh, what we've covered it make is more understandable if you see it in a larger whole. And about a year ago, you know, these mandalas were coming out of me, you know, one after another endlessly. And I had no notion of where it would ever end. I don't know. I just kept making them. Mm. But about a year ago, I got to what I now call panel seven. And it was like, oh, my God, this completes it mm. in, in a certain sense, although it is it never stops. But it gave a wholeness to it. And then I added panel eight and panel nine. Um, so that's what I teach. And so I've been teaching this in uh, in this local, uh, uh, but now I've been doing it online. So you don't have to be local. And if you, I don't know, if you want to post um, my link for the Saturday, uh, yeah. you know, it's free and it's uh, an hour and a half. And if you want to post it, so if people want to see, I, I, I don't even have a website up yet. You know, it's like um, mm. I haven't arrived there yet, you know, but I do have this very small, at least right now, small group where I each week I. I do a practice of presence, some selected topic and uh, and then we do some sharing, you know, so if people want to enter that stream, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's free. It's drop in as you want. You know, it's not like you have to sign up. Uh, so anyway, I just wanted to share that. Oops. <laughs> okay. You're still there. Uh, I don't know if there's anything else. Uh, I mean, I would love to uh, do a, another share another time with you. Uh, we seem to have a good flow together. <laughs> yeah, we'd love to. I mean, if you want to come back for a part two, that'd be good. So, yeah. Uh, but how about, do you have any, I mean, I don't know uh, what, I probably could come up with a few things, but is there anything that you, um, oh, by the way, I, I guess one thing I could just make uh, as a comment, sure. uh, partly also because of this red, um, in the, my red day, which we haven't gotten to, but um, I, I'm very much in an energized state and, um, you know, some people can hear, might hear me as uh <clears throat> I, I hear this guy is very passionate about what he's into, but he doesn't sound very like, you know, a Buddhist monk, uh, you know, very serene. And, and I'm not, I can be that way. I definitely like when I, <clears throat> when I guide people through the practices of presence, I'm not like this, you know, <laughs> uh, even if I am doing it on a red day, you know, mm. but um, uh, anyway, so, I just feel like go for it, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, this is more like a free flowing thing. I'm not doing a, you know, a serene uh, thing. So I just wanted to say that, but no, it's not even an apology. It's, <laughs> you 
It's just how it rolls. That's it, man. <laughs> you don't need to soften anything, Ed. Just go with it, man. Right, right. And I, I really appreciate, Alex, you... Um, by the way, I, <laughs> I don't know if I should mention this, but I, I was supposed to give a an interview yesterday to someone else, and he looked. He, I had sent him my uh, talk, that RVML talk, and based on that, he said, you know, you're very heady, very philosophical. I know you're very passionate, but I'm going to cancel. You know, so he canceled it, and I was in this state of like whatever you know <laughs> and he said well you know I, no disrespect maybe we'll meet another time and i have no disrespect of him either it's the play of life it's the play of shakti and um yeah i have other things i can share about uh but i think this is enough um <clears throat> but is there anything you want to <clears throat> uh, like I don't know, comment or question? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think um, we've covered a hell of a lot in two hours. So, and you, I mean, I this type of conversation, a... this type of conversation, you know, you can sit down with somebody and the time goes like that and you could be sitting there for 12 hours. And so, you know, right. I just, right. I, I don't have rigid structures for anything. Oh, no, I, hear I just that. see where things go and very I, often I, I, I ask one question and the person ends up speaking for 20 minutes and, and he goes and then I just I know, sit there I, and then you know I mean I if you you know you could say you know could you give me a, a short answer and I would uh, if you did but sometimes but you lose what, the magic in that don't you you lose the I, uh, I know you put a container around things and I'm not uh, you know I know I, I heard someone uh say something about Ken Wilbur, like you ask him one question, it doesn't matter what you ask him and he'll talk for two hours or something, you know, and it's, it's not a put down, you know, it's mm. like saying this guy is so knowledgeable and into what he's doing and he can enter the stream at any point. You ask him any question, and it will open into the one whole integral teaching, mm -hmm. if you like. Mm -hmm. um, I would just like to add that um, I know that some people might, even if they did try to stay with this, they'd be lost and overwhelmed. But I would like to add that I hope that there you did get some of the golden thread that flowed through it all, which was like the sacred mystery, the Shiva Shakti, the transcendent imminent, uh, you know, masculine, feminine, this endless play of how the one differentiates into the two. <clears throat> and through that, all the rest comes. You know, like the Tao differentiates, nobody knows how, no one, we don't even know if the Tao has figured this out. <laughs> um, how the Tao manifested into the yin and the yang, <laughs> and the yin and the yang, you know, are endlessly uh, playing a game with each other, all within the circle of the Tao, you know. Mm. It's an endless mystery, you know. Uh, 
So uh, there's a saying, I, I, I don't even know where it comes from. I actually, it has roots in the Hindu tradition. Of course, they don't use these terms. Only God knows God's secrets. <laughs> That's another way of saying uh, the, the divine mystery. However realized you are, I mean, whether you're a Ramana Maharshi or a Buddha, you know, you still haven't figured out the divine mystery. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat>